Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I have my co-host Rob Hunt with me today from California. Our producer, as always, Dan Humiston. And, uh, folks, we've been talking about this one for a while, and we've got uh, half of the crew here that we want to talk to today. Uh, But for purposes of today's show, he's the big half of the crew, so uh, we're very excited. And the gentleman of whom I'm speaking is Mark Slosberg. And if you don't recognize that name, you will shortly, uh, after we have a chance to start speaking with him, he occupies one of these wonderful little niches in Grateful Dead history uh, that either you know about or you don't know about. So uh, if you don't know about it after today's show, you will. Uh, So please stick around and listen to that. Uh, We have a show lined up for you today, uh, if time permits, from December 20th, 1969, at the Fillmore Auditorium. And uh, in fact, Dan, uh, can you just give us the the quick uh, intro song for that show that we have lined up? Mason died on Monday. We bridged him in the wall. All his children grew and grew. Much. Yeah, Mason's Children is always one of my favorites. It's, uh, I believe that was only the second time they had ever played it, I read in the notes. And, uh, you know, they really come out strong. 1969, they're firing on all cylinders. Uh, well, while normally we would start this part of the show with news of what's going on in the cannabis world, uh, again, due to the uh, special guest we have today, we're going to push that off to the side and we're going to dive right in. So, first of all, Rob, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm great, Larry. And so it's always nice to hear Mason's children. And I got to tell you, one of the things about, um, you know, kind of the later iterations of, of post-Garcia uh, Grateful Dead um, bands is that Phil Lesh really made an effort to bring that song back into the lineup. And I think that's all the choices that he made of, you know, bringing something back that a lot of fans wanted to hear. The reintroduction of Mason's children into the lineup is such a, a great uh, choice and such an enthusiastic, fun song to play and to listen to. I couldn't agree with you more. And when I saw him do his three shows with the quintet out at the uh, Capitol Theater in Port Chester the first night, first song came right out into Mason's children and just, you know, blew everybody away. So uh, it's a great tune. It's fun to hear him play it. Absolutely, I agree with that. Yeah, I think that, that and Violet Blues are the two that I was like, yeah, thank you for bringing those two back. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, we've been talking a little bit about the Grateful Dead previously in 1971, 72, and 73 in relation to the recent box set released by the Grateful Dead, Listen to the River, uh, that covers their shows in St. Louis over those three years. Uh, St. Louis has always kind of been a special place for the Grateful Dead, and uh, throughout those shows they have you know, quite a bunch of comments and uh, interesting tidbits that that really make them a lot of fun. And we will be getting to those shows, uh, but not this week. Uh, the reason why I mention those shows is because they form uh, the underlying circumstances for where uh, Mark Slosberg comes into the Grateful Dead history. So uh, in uh, December of 1971, uh, the 9th and 10th, I believe, uh, they had gone ahead and they had played uh, the Grateful Dead two shows at the Fox Theater. I think it was the second year they had appeared at the Fox Theater Um, But these are the first two discs from the uh, box set. Uh, The second one on December 10th was broadcast live in St. Louis. Uh, They're really great shows, and again, we will get to them uh, in the next couple of weeks. But due to a quirk in scheduling for the dead, after their December 10th show, which was a Friday, they did not have another show scheduled until December 14th at Hill Auditorium in Ann Arbor. And just as an aside, and not because I went to Ann Arbor, but if you haven't ever heard that show... The two nights in Ann Arbor from Hill Auditorium are are equally wonderful, and we'll get around to those one day, too. So faced with four days in between uh, and nothing to do, uh, the Grateful Dead, for reasons that I'm sure only they can explain, decided to hang out in St. Louis. Not just all day Saturday the 11th, but a good chunk of Sunday the 12th which becomes important because there is an airport hotel in St. Louis called the Airport Hilton, and this was the hotel where the Grateful Dead would stay when they came to St. Louis in the early 70s when they were performing at the Fox Theater. So they had performed December 9th and December 10th, all day Saturday. Now on Sunday, a fellow by the name of Richie Gerber, uh, who had gone to West Ledoux Junior High School, which is the same junior high school I went to many years ago, but a few years after Richie, Uh, was celebrating his bar mitzvah with a kid's party that night in one of the ballrooms at the the airport Hilton. 
well, before we get to that, let's just say the bar mitzvah was very blessed because they had a wonderful band from the high school, students from the high school performing for them, and that name of that band is Spring Rain. So if you haven't heard it, go Google it. It's got to be out there somewhere, I'm sure, but Spring Rain, and they were the high school band playing there that night. Mark Slosberg was the bass player for Spring Rain, uh, and so he's going to have a lot to tell us, but where the story gets interesting is somewhere during the night, uh, the Grateful Dead were still in St. Louis. They were still staying at the hotel, and they meandered, as it were, into this ballroom, and, and the rest will be history that we'll hear about right now. So first of all, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. We really, really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, I, I heard that we're not the first ones to have an opportunity to talk to you about this. You were actually on the uh, the good old Grateful Dead uh, podcast as well, correct? Yeah, starting in about... Uh, July or August, I started getting calls and people were texting me and, hey, we're getting ready for this. I'm writing a blog. We're doing a podcast. Uh, and we heard about this story and we weren't sure that if it's real. And I assured them that it was quite real and that I've been telling the story for about 40 years. So your Spring Rain is up on the stage. Give us an idea of what kind of a band Spring Rain was. What was your standard bar mitzvah set list? So we were uh, we had we had moved past the acid rock days, and we were into folk rock at that point. And we were doing James Taylor and Carol King and Elton John, and um, that's probably that. Uh, there were a few other tunes. That was sort of half the list, and then the other half of the list is we had a good uh, one of the members of the band who was also sort of our sound engineer. Uh, his name was Steve Fisher, and um, Steve had a shtick um, that got the kids up and dancing. He'd come out all greased up, like greased lightning, sort of like, uh, what was it, Sha-na-na back in the days. And, um, and so Steve would do Blue Suede Shoes and Johnny Be Good and, and all of those things. And, you know, we were, uh, we were not bad. We, you know, most, we were all in 10th grade at that time. Uh, mostly 15. Steve was the only 16-year-old, and so he was the one that had to drive all the equipment around. But we, you know, we were probably the bar mitzvah band at that particular time, and so we worked a couple times a month at least for all of that period of time. You know, had a, had a great time doing it, and so that was, our, that was our shtick. Okay, so Spring Rain is playing, and a pick up the story wherever it begins uh, involving the Grateful Dead. Yeah, so it, it for me... We've been, uh, as we've been telling these stories, uh, other people have sort of given other parts. So Richie, for example, we, Steve and I connected up with Richie a couple of years ago, trying to find out about pictures and things like that. And uh, through that, we learned that um, Richie's older sister, who was actually in our grade, happened to be at the bar mitzvah. And apparently she was, uh, she was uh, instrumental in luring the band into the, into the room. Now, the way I always told it is that they were, uh, they were in the bar getting drunk or having a drink, whatever, whatever what it was, and they heard scratchy rock and roll, you know, to quote Joni Mitchell, and, you know, they got interested and they came down, and uh, my, my younger sister happened to be at the bar mitzvah, Joe, and she, uh, she comes over to me and she says, Mark, the Grateful Dead are here, and just, just like any other arrogant older brother I said Joanne go away I'm trying to play and she says no they really are here and she pointed to the door and sure enough there they were sort of like uh, Mark's brothers or Larry, Larry, Larry Moe and Curly standing there in the door and somehow or other we had the presence of mind to ask them if they wanted to play or if they would be willing to play and they said yes and that was that was it. So who came up? Who did you get? Who came on stage with you? So it was it was um, it was the first tour with Godshaw, first of all. So this you know, and I think I think Pigpen wasn't there. Kreutzmann was there. Lesh, Weir, and the the fun part about it was Marmaduke was there from the New Riders. This was Dawson. As I told the story, I, and I, I'm not sure this is exactly right, but I've been telling the story that. This was essentially the last tour that the Dead did with the New Riders. Uh, this that part of the story came in much later when I met my future wife because um, although I was not a huge New Riders fan, when she found out that 
she was a new writers fan, so that was a big part of the story for her. That's crazy. So you got to play with John Marmaduke Dawson as well as playing with uh, the Grateful Dead, huh? That's it. That's it. And and mostly they played new writers tunes. That's what they that that was what they did. They did not really do dead tunes. They did New Riders tunes, and he kind of led and sang. That's even cooler, man. That's like, don't bury the lead. Like, I, I got to play with the Grateful Dead, and we played New Riders songs. That's incredible. It was, it was really nice, and it was funny because, you know, while we all knew the Dead, and I probably had American Beauty and Working Man's Dead, I wasn't a huge Dead fan at the time, and I definitely didn't know who the New Riders were. But uh, after that, we picked up a whole bunch of trucking songs. You know, all the trucker songs, the trucker rock that, that came after that. That was uh, that was what we added to the repertoire after the, the gig. Oh, my God. So now, did you have a chance to actually play with them? Yeah, so, the, so what happened, they played four or five songs, and then we had to sort of finish the, our gig. And that's when, uh, and I don't remember all this, but this was, Steve was talking about this. Then Steve came out for his set, all slicked up and, and ready to rock. And apparently the, the, the dead guys were in the back cracking up because it was a very funny set. You know, we, we did it. And, and of course, the, you know, all these 13-year-old kids are out there dancing and, and all. And then after that, so one of the more unique parts about our band was that we were all new musicians. We were not great musicians at that particular point. I mean, I've gone on and played seriously for a while, but um, we had a piano player at the time, John McSweeney, who, um, who is blind. I, I always say he was blind, but he probably still is. And, and he was actually the rock of the band. He, he was probably our best player at the time. <laughs> And, um, and I, I, again, I always say they were pro the, the, what I thought the, the reason that the dead hung around as long as they did is I think they were intrigued. I, you know, they maybe were just high enough to think that maybe they were looking at the, the next Ray Charles or Stevie Wonder or something. John was really good. And uh, that kind of kept their interest. And somewhere along the lines, we started a 12-bar blues kind of thing. And they came up. And I gave my bass to Phil, and uh, Doug turned over his drums to Kreutzmann, and you know, some uh, Bruce gave his guitar to to Weir, and the rest is history. And we jammed a little bit on, you know, twelve bar blues. We we were not great improvisers at the time, and. Uh, but it was, you know, it was the one thing we all knew, and it was easy to do. So the kid whose bar mitzvah was, did he understand the magnitude of the moment of kind of like what was happening? Or was he just like, who are these old guys and why are they playing my bar mitzvah? I guess they weren't even old then. They were, they were pretty young guys then. So it's funny that you would ask that question because it, through, the, through our conversations with Richie and all, you know, Richie was a typical 13-year-old Jewish kid, you know. He wasn't as interested in the Grateful Dead as he was in sports. And, and the night before, at his adult party, it, which, which was held at the hockey arena, apparently um, Gary, Gary Unger stopped by. And he was all excited about that. That was the thing. He had no idea who the dead were. Now, he later came to find out because all the kids went out to the lobby because there were no cell phones in those days and called their older brothers and sisters um, and, the, and we all lived about 15 minutes away from the airport Hilton. And, uh, and within 20 minutes or so, the, the lobby was filled with all the high schoolers. And we had a... And so all of a sudden the room filled up and there, there they are. They've got a whole audience ready for it. Poor kid having the bar mitzvah. It's like, everyone beat it, man. I'm just trying to get bar mitzvah and have a family party. That's <laughs> yeah. right. So here's the, here's the question. Did the band dance the horror? You know, we weren't a big horror playing band, so... It's not like we weren't like we, we played the music we wanted to. We were not uh, sort of a traditional bar mitzvah band at that point, which was probably why we worked so right. much. Although I have to say, can you just imagine Bobby calling out a hot horror? That would be great. That would be hilarious. That yeah. would be great. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. did they uh, take, you know, uh, were the, the people who were there, did they mingle with folks? Could you talk to them? And yeah, we talked to them. We, you know, they actually hung around a long time afterwards. We sat in the bar. Oh, they let uh, you in the bar? Nice. <laughs> I was about to say, was it an open bar? <laughs> were they getting free booze ahead of the deal? Yeah. We were, <laughs> well, no, no, no. We actually sat in a hotel bar afterwards. And John was there. You know, his mother always had to come and pick him up because he didn't drive and all. So, you know, it was a very, it was kind of a family scene. I, I later found out that it might not have been quite as 
as family as I thought, because my sister then sort of came forward many, many, many years later with how the, the autographs were being signed. And they weren't all on publicity photos, although I have, I have copies of the uh, publicity photos from one of the young ladies whose father was a rabbi. So I, I have copies of those with the signatures of everybody. But my sister comes to tell me that there were a few people whose names shall remain anonymous who, who had the signatures done on their chest. Including your sister, so, as I recall. <laughs> uh, that, the, the, the story is, she, she does cop to that. Look, it's, uh, it's harder to sell that way. It's, uh, you can't, can't bring that down to the pawn shop 20 years later and go, hey, I've got this memento from uh, the bar mitzvah in 71. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. But, and Richie's mom lost the photos. Or there was that a- was in a fire. That's what, you know, that's what happened about a couple of years ago, Steve and I. Steve and I have been sort of the keepers of the story for all these years. And uh, we both got sort of curious. We figured, oh, there's got to be pictures because it was a bar mitzvah. I mean, you know, and, and we called and got, got in touch with Richie, who is now an insurance lawyer, which is, you know, uh, amusing. <laughs> in and of itself. Uh-huh. But uh, apparently his family had had a fire and nearly all the photos were lost. He sent me one or two that he found where you can't see anybody from the dead. You can see a couple of the band members. I think I'm in it from the back, but you can't tell it's me. So it's unfortunate, but there are no pictures. All I have is the uh, article from the Ledoux High School paper uh, from the next couple of days after that, that uh, it incorrectly states that Phil Lesh is a drummer. But otherwise, it was a very accurate art. So, so what did that do for your status at high school? I mean, all of a sudden, when you came back in on Monday morning, were you, like, mobbed by... I, I never had to do anything else in high school. Yeah, I can't imagine. And, like, you probably never had to buy another beer. My later bands my later bands were much better. And we continued down the circuit and played all kinds of stuff. And so when you're auditioning for new bands, are you like, yeah, you know, going through kind of my chops. I played in this band, played in that band. The Grateful Dead played with me at a bar mitzvah. You know, kind of standard repertoire. You know? Yeah, I, we always pretty much put on our own music. So I, I never really had to use that. It's been much more, it's been much more amusing to use it in a corporate setting. Uh, when people say, you know, when you have those uh, warm-up events with new people and, and you go around the, the uh, horn and say, tell us something about you that nobody else knows, and I'll tell the story. And as I was telling Larry the other day, um, you know, the problem is it's aging out because the last few times I've told it in a corporate setting, several people have come up to me and said, so now who the Grateful Dead? Who's the Grateful Dead? I find that so hard to believe these days. Though, there's such a resurgence in popularity. I mean, like John Mayer's brought like this whole new wave of like teeny bopper Grateful Dead fans now that. Well, that's what. So I'm talking about the 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 uh, strapped down consulting. Class, yeah, sure. You know, young consultants that that have sort of lost track. But in, I, in, in more ways than one, man. Exactly. But what I will say is frequently as I will say, well, that's who John Mayer is playing with now, and they'll say, oh, okay, yeah. now I understand. Yeah, yeah. No, it's so funny. I find myself, like, remember, like, you know, in my 30s, and I'd talk about a TV show that I thought was, like, a young kid's TV show, and I'd realize I was speaking to kids in their teens, and they'd have no idea what I was talking about because there was even a generation in between us where I'm like, wow, I'm already, I'm already two generations above these kids, not one. I, I tell a story about a record changer at my daughter's college graduation, and she is a musician, uh, she's a flute player, and she graduated from Berkeley College, or not Berkeley, Boston Conservatory. It's now Berkeley. But uh, we were at a party with all these kids, and they were wrestling with a record changer, and I went and put on four records on the changer, and I hit the button, and they were all amazed. It was like a new world for them. <laughs> oh, that's how that works. We've never seen that. So, so I've got to ask, are you, are you a Grateful Dead fan now? I mean, obviously you've played a ton of other music yourself, and it sounds like your, your genre that you like to play is kind of, you know, not, not Grateful Dead or jam bandish. But have you maintained, like, some sort of um, uh, familiarity with the, the music as a result of the experience? Oh, absolutely. You know, so it, it's, become, it's become lore just because of where I married into, you know. So my, my not so much my wife, although she, she's into it. She was more of a New Riders fan. But 
her her cousins are huge Grateful Dead fans. In fact, you were mentioning the that show at the Capitol Theater. My wife's cousin Sharon, my cousin now, she was at that show, and she, you know, she's our age and 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 goes to them every show imaginable. So there, and then my son-in-law, who's who's in his forties, he. Uh, he was one of the guys that sort of traveled with them for a while and sold merch in the in the parking lots. And then um, and we have gone and seen Dead and Company with my grandson at the Gorge. So you know, I still keep a connection. I'm not sure I will do it again, but you know, I still enjoy it. And I put on the old albums every once in a while and enjoy it when they come up on the playlist. So we'll tell your uh, tell your sister that my claim to fame is I uh, snuck into David Nelson's dressing room at the Gathering of the Vibes in 2006 and drank all his beer. So uh, so she's a New Riders fan. She'll she'll appreciate it. Never leave a uh, dressing room you know uh, unguarded. So Mark, that the, the what I really want if you have a second, you can tell us what you shared with me the other day. Fast forward a year, the Dead come back to play at the Fox Theater. And you got a story about that. I, I do. So it was it was very amusing. We were, uh, you know, now we were 16 year olds instead of 15 year olds, and you know, and and by that time we we known how unique that experience was the prior year, and you know, and they they did hang around and we talked and 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 all that. So we thought, well, what the hell? We'll go down to the Fox Theater. We'll hang around the door and we'll see if they remember us and let us in. But by that time, I think uh, they had their world had moved on. Things were very, very different, and the bouncers were having none of our story. They, 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 they weren't interested in the story. And so I said, you know, I'll probably have to wait fifty years, <laughs> and and here we are. Right, just about fifty years later. Uh, see now, if you had shown up with the pictures, then maybe they would have let you in. That, that's right. You know, that's that, right. That, then you might have had a shot there. So I, I know Rob was asking about the um, about how you follow the dead or if you play their music at all. Did you ever have a chance? Did you ever go to the Fox Theater in any of those years to see them? Uh, I, I I I think I went to the concert that we tried to crash. So you just wound up seeing that one. I saw that one, and I'm sure I've seen a couple of others. I mean, the Fox Theater was such an amazing theater. We saw all kinds of performances there. Um, and I'm pretty certain that I saw The the Dead uh, in one of those. I always loved the Fox Theater. And I may have mentioned to you, you know, by the time I started seeing The Dead in 82, the Fox Theater was, you know, in a part of St. Louis that nobody went to. Uh, and nobody was, go- nobody was going in the Fox Theater at that time. But we all heard the stories and we all pined for the day they'd even just come to St. Louis, let alone the Fox Theater. And lo and behold, 1986 in the summer, they announced they're going to play two shows at the Fox. We got our tickets. We were all ready to go. Jerry went into the diabetic coma a few weeks before. And that was the end of that. And they never sniffed the Fox Theater again. Although, a few years later in 2010... Fish decided to play a show in the Fox Theater. So a cousin of mine was able to get me tickets for that. So I went down and I went with him to the show. And around my neck in a laminate, I had my Grateful Dead ticket from 1985. So just in case anybody didn't believe me, I'd be able to flash it at him. Um, but, uh, and seeing Fish in the Fox Theater was wonderful. I mean, it is definitely a great place to see live music. Uh, just sorry that I never had the chance uh, uh, to see that. I guess that's just the burden of being born a little bit later. But would you... Uh, uh, I know you said you had um, uh, American Beauty and Working Man. Did you ever listen to Live Dead, you know, and some of the really, like, primal acid rock stuff? Well, the one that came out afterwards, right after that was the, and I can't remember the name, but it was the, I think it was the Egyptian Tours, the one that they did when they were traveling through Egypt. And I have that album at home, and that was probably the, the you know, sort of the liveiest album that I ever uh that I ever listened to. And I sort of drifted away and moved into jazz and other kinds of uh, music by that time. And so, but you know, I've always come back to the old stuff. So do you ever have a chance to listen to any of Jerry Garcia's solo stuff? He does a lot of jazz with David Grisman and Howard Wales. And so, yeah. And it's funny how I came upon that. I, and it's, and it's really interesting now because uh, my son, who's, you know, in his thirties, he discovered the pizza tapes and he had, he had that. And so, you know, and I stole all of his music after, you know, I tried to steal all of my children's music so that I wouldn't become old. <laughs> and, um, and so he had the pizza tapes and then, you know, I started discovering the, the Tony Rice stuff, which for me, I am a humongous Bela Fleck, Bela Fleck fan. We, in fact, we saw Bela 
first concert in two and a half years, just about three nights ago, four nights ago. Right, I heard that she's back out touring again. Oh, it was a fantastic concert, unbelievable. But you know, what happened was I started to put all these threads together and he started with Tony Rice and then there are these great interviews. I'm also a, a big Mark O'Connor fan. And there's this great interview where Mark O'Connor and Tony Rice are sitting around with Jerry Garcia talking about how he should hear this young musician called Bela Fleck, these guys, and Jerry Douglas, these guys are amazing. And then also, of course, uh, I've, I've been a longtime fan of David Grisman, so that's uh, all of those things. We've seen you know him in, in local jazz venues and uh, here in Seattle. So, Love uh, David Grisman, too. What was interesting about that uh, Phil Lesh show from the Capitol Theater that I was mentioning, and you said your sister was at, like the third or fourth song of the night was So What? Oh yeah, and uh, you know Miles Davis, and it just and, and I. It's funny what your perspective is. I we've talked about before on our show all of the other bands I discovered because the Grateful Dead were covering them. So I'd go out and say, well, if the Dead are covering Dylan or whoever, I got to go listen to all of their music. And you know, all of a sudden, I'm being turned on to everybody. And I knew that uh, that so what it was on a, a, a Grisman Garcia album was not a, a, a Garcia tune, but they started playing it. And everybody's like, what is this? I'm like, so what? And they're like, so what? I mean, it's a Garcia Sia tune. And so I'm like, no, it's not. It is a Miles. I'm like, okay, I know it's Miles Davis, but I'm oriented to it through right, Garcia. Right. Well, it's interesting. So, so what isn't in my current repertoire? I play with my neighbor who is uh, uh, the, the next generation. He's in his 30s or 40s. And, and he is a great jazz piano player. And he and I get together and jam. And so what is one of our tunes? So that it's funny. Oh yeah, no, that that that's just one, you know. But again, it, it just all the different stuff it's pulled me into. It, it it's just amazing. Do you keep up with the uh, other members of Spring Rain besides Steve? Uh, you know, Sherry, our singer, she and I, you know, she's been out to Seattle and had dinner. We had dinner with her. I haven't seen her in a few years. It was funny. Doug Heller, the the drummer, called me during all of the run up. People were people were starting, you know, as you said earlier, you were trying to find me. Um, you know, various people had called me and, you know, another friend of a friend called me and said, oh, I know one of the guys that was in the band. So Doug and I talked. It's the first time he and I had talked for a long time. Um, and that's about it, really. Our guitar player is, uh, is off at uh, somewhere in Massachusetts. And I, what I've heard is that he is a songbird expert. He has become quite the, the expert in, in bird songs. So, you know, we know who we know where people are, but we're not all close anymore. Okay, so so there's no hope of a 50th reunion for uh Spring Rain. Hi, highly unlikely. It's much more likely that my subsequent bands would play again than than that. I don't know. Maybe if we told Bob we're about it, he'd want to reconnect. <laughs> I, I have always wondered, you know, will I see them in an airport somewhere or something like that? and could go up and say, do you remember? But I've never gotten to do that, so. Well, you know, I, I, I always wondered if, if even they remember, right? It was until it all started coming out again. And, and like I, I think I told you, I, you know, although you're from St. Louis, Keith is from St. Louis, I'm from St. Louis. There's a little bit of an age difference here, not much, but enough. And I never knew Keith in St. Louis. I met him up here. And I was introduced to him, uh, somebody introduced us because they know we both like the Grateful Dead without realizing the St. Louis connection, which, you know, we just launched into all of this. But as deadheads will do when you're first meeting another deadhead and you really want to, you know, throw it around. I was at this show, this show, this show, this show. Well, I was at Richie Gerber's Bar Mitzvah. And I was like, what? What are you talking about, Richie? Who, who the hell? Oh, Wes Ledoux. I, I know Wes Ledoux. I know the airport. Hilton. I know all of this. Now, bring this around full. And he tells me this story. And it had to be over 30 years ago. And I, you know, I like Keith. I didn't have any reason to believe he wasn't telling me the truth, but I'm just wondering, you know, was it really like, you know, the, somebody who looked like the Grateful Dead? It, it just, it seemed a little strange. And over the years, I would tell the story. Oh, I've got this buddy who saw the Grateful Dead at a bar mitzvah show, and everybody would just kind of shrug their shoulders. But six months ago, the the article I think that you were talking about popped up on the internet. And people started sending it around. And then, of course, when the, the box set came out and David Lemieux talked about it on his podcast and all of a sudden, you know, it, it wasn't even just that, wow, Keith was telling the truth. He's like, wow, Keith was at a part, a moment of Grateful Dead history that here we are celebrating 50 years later. And I'm sure a 15-year-old uh, bass player couldn't have imagined that at the time. Uh, you know, I knew I knew it was important, but 
you know, it, like I said, it, the, the, the fame was fleeting at the time. And I, I moved on and did other, lots of other things, but it's been such a fun story to tell. And uh, it's always funny. It's also fun to tell it to clients. Sure. Uh, oh, I can imagine. Right. For all of these. Right. I mean, talk about a great icebreaker. And you told us that's what you do with it. So that's that. No, that that's really a great way to get going. Well, Mark, I have to tell you, this this is just all, uh, uh, you know, so amazing to me. You know, and, and as a guy from St. Louis who has deep St. Louis roots and not just the Cardinals, although that's typically where it begins and ends for me. You know, I, I, I've always loved St. Louis's role in the Grateful Dead history. You know, I, I loved being able to meet Keith and, you know, more than anything else, just to, to, to be able to talk to somebody who was there at the time and present and all of these things. And now, you know, we spill over into this. And this is just amazing to me how this Grateful Dead world all eventually comes together in a nice, neat circle. And, you know, they decide to put out a box set. People start checking their notes. And here you are. I will say that my family is tired of this story. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they they would prefer never to ever have to hear it again because they've heard it so many times. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, my father is an orthopedic surgeon and, you know, he was as conservative and, sorry, dad, boring as they come. I love him to death, but, you know, he was never going to be a guy. I tell my kids, they come and listen to all of my music. There's not a single album at your grandfather's house that I've ever listened to or would ever listen to. But in 1978, long story short, Stones came through St. Louis on their Some Girls Tour to do a surprise show at Keel Opera House, and Wyman had fallen off the stage in Minnesota the night before and broke his finger. So the producer knew my dad, got him down there to take care of Bill Wyman's finger. While he was there, he wound up lancing a boil on Mick Jagger's butt. Rolling Stones went out and played. My dad sat on the stage all night. My cousin was in the first row watching because I was away at summer camp in Wisconsin when all of this went down. But I, you know, I, I, I tell the story as much as I can. My father doesn't want to hear the story anymore. You know, most people would say, wow, that's cool. His response was, no more rock concerts. They're loud and they're smelly and there's people smoking dope and you're not going to anymore. I'm like, how did this happen? So you know, we tell the story. He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But However it works, it works. So do you ever get back to St. Louis? Yeah, in fact, uh, my wife and I just did what we call the, the Cousins Cemeteries and Corn Stubble Tour. And uh, we landed in St. Louis. I had yet to see my mother's headstone, which had been placed a couple of years ago. So we went there and then we went out to Columbia and visited Cousins. And then we actually drove up your way. We drove through... Um, the, the corn stubble was Effingham and, uh, and Champagne. Uh, I met with a couple of clients and then we ended up spending four or five days in Chicago and had a great time. So yeah, we, we do the, we do the Midwest every once in a while. Now, when you guys were in high school, was Jake's leg, the Grateful Dead cover band playing at that time? No, I don't remember that at all. I don't think they were old enough yet to have a cover band at that point. And it was funny cause Steve was doing the math. I mean, I think there were only about five or probably eight years older than us. And, and they were still, you know, it, it, particularly that first tour through, they were still young and relatively unknown outside of the, you know, the hardcore circuit. It wasn't until after that, that they, uh, you know, that they met some measure of fame, you know, real fame. Wow. That's just fantastic. Well, Mark, you know, even without Rob here, I could talk to you all night about this because there's all sorts of St. Louis stuff we haven't even gotten into yet, but, um, you know, the, the the audience doesn't want to hear me. They want to hear you, and you've been wonderful. And uh, sharing these stories with us and everything is, uh, you know, really pretty incredible. And here you are, you know, on whatever level you want to call it, you know, permanently a part of Grateful Dead history. <laughs> permanently is what it seems like. <laughs> and God bless, right? A hundred years from now, some deadheads will still be talking about a story with the Grateful Dead. I was happy that, that I could finally tell the story officially for with you guys and the podcast and all this so that maybe I won't have to tell it quite so many times in front of my children. I just I just point people to the podcast. In fact, that that last article in the Jewish Light guy calls me and I said, well, before you interview me, why don't you go listen to the podcast? Because frankly, we got most of the really good details out. Right. Right. And 
I'm glad you mentioned that um, because in St. Louis for the Jewish community, we do have a, a weekly newspaper called the Jewish Light, uh, which, uh, you know, prior to this, as I can recall best, their most exciting article may have been, I can't even recall. It was something my mother read, my grandmother read, and I just, I wasn't allowed to throw out it. I had to make sure they, and yet here they are, the Jewish Light, and I've heard that the St. Louis Jewish community is trying to cash in on this as a way to, you know, kind of bolster up the idea that this was at a bar mitzvah and it's a big Jewish thing and... and I can't tell you how many people reached out to me after that article. And I never even talked to the, I, I texted with the, with the author, but I, I never really talked to him. And the day after it dropped, I'm getting texts from my best friend, my old friend from high school, and this one and that one. It was, everybody reads the Jewish lights. <laughs> well, but like, okay, so over the last, you know, 30 or 40 years when you would get together with some of your buddies, is it the kind of thing that they would talk about or was it the kind of thing that, you know, was mostly pushed to the side by now? We, we, it, it was not that important it, in, in sort of, you know, everybody's life. And again, most people who weren't there ha are tired of hearing the story. So, you know, it would usually just be new people who I, you know, when I was trying to uh, impress them or th that's probably not even the right word, but you know, uh, give them some sense of how old I am. <laughs> right. True that. Oh, here's a, one other question I wanted to ask you. Uh, you said you let Phil Lesh play your bass because obviously he was their bass player. Did he give you any tips? Well, actually, it was really amusing because um, I had just started to play stand-up bass because my mother, I had played guitar for years and in and, and switching into the spring rain, I had taken up the bass. And my mother was very insistent that if I was going to play this electric thing, I had to learn the real one. So I had started taking bass lessons from the principal of the Seattle Symphony. And then it was like, okay, well, if I'm going to play a real bass, why don't I get a fretless bass? So I had a fretless bass. And I remember one of the things that he said to me was that he had actually never really played with a fretless bass. So that was, that was a little different for him. Now, I don't know that I played it very well. But at least I think it was a new experience for him at the time. Well, I, I'm sure. And of course, you know, Phil went on to revolutionize it. He plays if it's a five-string or a six-string bass and all that kind of stuff. He's just, you know, but of course, he also wrote classical music and everything. He was kind of the savant of the group, I think. So that's great. So yes, I, I well, you know, tell your kids not to listen to the podcast. Everybody else can uh, because, you know, people are going to want to hear these stories and, and hopefully, you know, you'll still keep getting, uh, you know, at least a little bit of recognition out of it. And, you know, for, for a life story to have, this isn't a bad one. It's not a bad story. It's a good story. The, the last thing is that for years, it, it was actually my guitar that my, that the guitar player was playing. And so when those strings were, were well used, we pulled them off and, stuck them on our wall and, and Steve wrote a, a note saying these are dead strings. And that was one of the goofy things that Steve would do because only he would get slicked up and go out and sing Johnny Be Good. That's too funny. So, you know, you put your strings up on the wall. Sure, why not? I mean, you have to memorialize it. Did they ever tell you where Garcia was that night? Uh, no, not really. Uh, and I've always speculated, but I, I'll keep that to myself. <laughs> Well, there were a lot of, you know, I'm sure, pretty young girls running around in that place. So, and Jerry did have an affinity for those kind of things, so who knows? So, you know, you go home at the end of the night, you have a good story to tell your parents. That's great. That's right. Well, actually, I, I, Steve tells the story is that he, had to, he, he woke his parents up to tell them that uh, he had just played with the Grateful Dead, and they just rolled over and said, that's nice. See you later. See you in the morning. Right. Good night. Don't wake me up. Sure, exactly. Mark, thank you so much. This has just been wonderful for you to give us the time today. We had been talking still a couple of years earlier here, 1969, a Fillmore show on the 20th of December. Um, and now we can uh, dive into that one a little bit. Dan, uh, do you have that uh, second clip from that show? can't miss that that's that's in my opinion that is the 11 and that's one of the most famous 
uh, guitar sequences that Jerry Garcia plays in all of the Grateful Dead. I, I, I love that riff and I love that part of the jam in the middle of the tune. It's, it's great. It's high energy. It served as a wonderful bridge from St. Stephen into Love Light. And um, it, it's just a marvelous. And that was a great show, uh, as they all are from that period of time. Uh, December 20th, 1969 from the Fillmore. And as always, one uh, that I would encourage everyone uh, uh, to go out and pick up, the uh, set list in it uh, just goes on and on and on, and that's what makes it so special for everybody, I think. But uh, uh, definitely when you have Masons to open, you have a hot 11 in the middle uh, into a love light. Um, it, it, it's just classic Grateful Dead from that moment in time, and you, you really do hear the energy of the band uh, you know, as Mark was saying, you know, even in 1971, they're young guys. In 69, they were even younger. And uh, th there's just a lot of great enthusiasm. It really sounds very crisp and clear for uh, recording that that's, that is that old. And uh, certainly something that, again, I would recommend that people listen to. You know, they love the Fillmore very much, the Grateful Dead. And whenever they were there, they were always uh, at the top of their game. And, and that concert from 12-20-69 is no exception. So it's certainly something that... Uh, that people should consider going out and having a chance to listen to. Otherwise, folks, that's it. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to come up with Grateful Dead news that we have uh, that's a whole lot better and more interesting uh, than what Mark Slosberg was able to share with us today. And uh, on the marijuana front, uh, what I would tell everyone is go read the article about Curaleaf's recent announcement of a $425 million private placement of 8% senior secured notes uh, that are due in 2026 and go ask your father or your grandfather if they ever imagined that a marijuana company would have news like that uh, you know, in the national media. And of course, this is just another day in the marijuana industry, another huge deal. It's becoming a monster. People still talk you know, in, in a sense as though, well, what if it doesn't really survive? It's not going anywhere. We're, the cat is out of the bag here, and, uh, and we're on our way. Um, Mark, if uh, you're still there, and if I could just ask you another quick question really quickly, um, without incriminating yourself by any means, uh, would, would spring rain pregame? Well, um, you know, speaking from a state that where it's incredibly legal, one of the first two, you know, we've been having a great old time. Uh, we, um, we didn't really, spring rain, no, subsequent bands, Absolutely. <laughs> of course. See, now your kids will have a reason to listen. Blackmail material. That. Oh, my kids. My, we, we've had long, long conversations, so uh, it's it's no secret. Well, as, as have I. I figure that's the only way to do it. You just got to let them know the way of the world. Uh, I, I was wondering, and, and, and any reason to believe uh, that the dead had been imbibing on anything other than the bar before they showed up? Were their eyes kind of glazed and spinning? Or? You know, we were, we were so focused. I mean, you know, for us, it was a gig. We were, we were being paid. And, and, and when all of the, the, the hubbub died down, we still had to load up, you know, and like the old Jackson Brown song, we were our own roadies. We had to load up the truck and get it back. So... You know, it's hard to know. Again, that was always my speculation. You know, they were drinking whatever was happening elsewhere we didn't know about. They were very focused, and Steve talked about this. Bob Weir apparently spent a lot of time with Steve talking about not imbibing and not getting, you know, not getting involved in particularly the hard drugs. He, Steve remembered particularly that I, I think he had said he'd been to high school with Janis Joplin and had lived through many of these things. So while I'm sure there was a lot of um, stuff, you know, it, we were all very focused that the, the addictive stuff was something to stay away from. And and that was a part of the conversation that evening. So Wow, that's kind of cool know. to know, actually. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, that wasn't a conversation I had. That was a, one that Steve had. But, uh, sure. Um, you know, I think that was all part of it. I think they realized once... The, the gravity of what was happening, they they turned to be much more family oriented, if you will, uh, and I think they made sure the evening didn't didn't end up uh, as somebody said. I think it was Jesse Jarno or somebody like that said, "Yeah, you know, all the kids got home, nobody was missing, everybody had a good time." You know, it, it ended up being a little more PG rated than than you would have expected at a show like that. So, sure. But these well, were thirteen year olds, so you know you you do have to be careful. So, well, I'll throw out a name that you may or may not recognize from St. Louis days, Harold Yalem. Oh, sure. Harold was one of the 
he you know did the bar mitzvah parties right and he would yeah he was the, he would he was our competition he was the, if if they didn't have a band if they you know if they didn't have a band it was Harold Yalem's gig and what I used to get a kick out of with him was in order to get the guys and the girls to dance he'd have all sorts of games and he'd hand out albums and one night we were at a party and he said oh I, here come out to my car I've got and he opened up his trunk and he had more albums in there than I had ever seen and he said what do you guys like do you like the Grateful Dead and I remember this he showed me Blues for Allah. And at the time, I had no idea what it was, and I probably wound up walking out of there, you know, with a Head East album or something. But, uh, um, you know, it, even he, this guy, Harold Yalem, who I, you know, just always assumed was this, uh, you know, real, uh, you know, traditional kind of guy, uh, even he was handing it out back then. So it was amazing. It was, that's too funny. Okay, well, we, we've gone through a few things, but if you have any other questions for Mark, lay them out there, baby. Um I, I do have a tongue-in-cheek question to ask you, which is that, you know, you said you were playing Smelton John back then, and I think a Madman Across the Water came out right around that time in 71. So my question is, did, did you play the song Holiday Inn at no, the Hilton? We did not, but, but it was funny because Elton John was a, the second concert I had ever seen, the first one being Jimi Hendrix when we were 12 years old. Wow. Where'd you see Jimi Hendrix in St. Louis? At uh, Kiel. Oh my! And uh, wow. 1968, I have the poster over our framed over our toilet in our uh, in our uh, powder room. So you know that Bruce and I and one other friend from middle school, we called the junior high back then. Um, went, I don't even know why my parents allowed it to happen, but we did. And then we moved on to Elton and then and then we started playing the music. So we were really more in the Your Song area. You know, the first two albums, Tumbleweed Connection and the original um, Your Song album. I can't remember. I think that was... Too- yep. Take, take Me to the Pilot. Yes. That, I think we did that one, actually. That's... Because uh, I, think, I think the big so, songs that came off of um, Mad Men Across the Water were Tiny Dancer and Levon, and that was 71. Yeah, that was actually... So that was after us. I mean, we weren't playing that music. We were playing it just earlier than that. Oh, come on, man. Tiny Dancer is the perfect Bar Mitzvah song. Well, the perfect Bar Mitzvah song was Money. From Pink Floyd, but that was a later band. That's uh, that's actually a great choice. <laughs> as as the uh, as the relatives are walking up handing envelopes. That's exactly right, you know. But what was great about that song is it was in nine eight. I think it was nine eight or seven eight. I can't remember, but uh, but it was it was it was very interesting to watch the kids trying to dance to that. What a great baseline. <laughs> right, it's true. Some of that music, you know, you may not know if you haven't heard it before. That's right. Wow. So you were you were exposing people to good stuff. Hey, everywhere. we were we were playing Chikoria and Magish New Orchestra in the later band. So oh wow, even better. Yeah. Okay, that, actually, That's it was really it was even more out. fun to watch them trying to uh, to what to dance to Intermounting Flame. That was my favorite. <laughs> you know, kids will dance to anything, especially if they can slow dance. Yeah, but getting to dance in nine eight time. That is not easy. That's that's the kid that's awkward already, tripping over himself. Or all of a sudden looking like he knows what he's doing. Right, yeah, yeah. Suddenly he's a genius. It goes on to be a great, exactly, a great modern dancer DJ after that. That's really funny. Well, all I can say is I am delighted to know that the um, that the, the rumor or the myth or you know whatever you want to call it is true. And I, I feel the same way talking to you, Mark, as I did the first time I, uh, I spoke to the, the Waldos about the origin of 420, where you know all the stories I'd heard you know about it it all sort of came together. I'm like, wow, this really is true, and it really is you guys, and this really happened. And there's certain like parts of like sort of the Americana lore of you know the Grateful Dead mythology that, when they're confirmed, just kind of just makes you feel really, really happy to know that they're really true. Well, and it, it's partially fun because it was essentially an underground story for 50 years. Right. Exactly. You know, I, I mean, I would tell the story, and I'm sure Steve told the story. He talks about his family's tired of it. But um, it, it wasn't ever public or anything, and it took a 50-year anniversary for somebody to actually dig around and say, "So, are any of these people still around?" And you know, we, we haven't died yet. Although sometimes I wonder. And, and you're not too much younger than than some of those. If you were playing in a band at a bar mitzvah, you probably had to be, you know, as you said, what 16, 17. I, we were we were all 15. Uh, only Steve was 16. He drove a yellow Pinto station wagon, you know, the one that was made famous by the uh, by Ralph Nader. That was what we hauled our equipment around in. Which uh, which meant that if, if that was the case and you said you never had to do another thing in high school, you had four very easy years of high school, man. Well, we, okay, so I was a, I was a sophomore, 
So, because the Ladue High School started was in 10th grade, but uh, yes, I, I had a wonderful, my years and people say they would never go back and revisit high school. I, I had a great time. Yeah, uh, I did too. Right. Yeah, high school's fun. Especially when you're meeting the Grateful Dead. Yeah, or or sneaking out of your house to go see the Grateful Dead, you know, as a kid. Or, by the way, sneaking out of the house to go see the New Riders, who used to play right down the street from me uh, in White Plains, New York. And I couldn't get into the bar, but I could stand outside, and they had the stage right against the window of the bar, and we'd just stand out there and kind of half-dance in the parking lot where people would drive by going, what's wrong with those kids? <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was fun. Well, it was funny because I had never heard of them before that night. And then after that, like I said, you know, when I, just, when I met my wife and discovered she was a new Writers fan rather than a Grateful Dead fan, I thought that was, you know, there's a, there's a Jewish word, beshert. That's uh, that's what it was. It was faith. That is well, you know. Look, when the when the when the stars align, they align, and with the Grateful Dead, that seems to happen more often than not. Okay, wow. Well, this has just been fantastic. Um, thank you so much, Mark, for joining us. Happy holidays to you and your family. And wow, you know, it, I guess it's something I can check off my bucket list now. That you know, I talked to one of the guys who was in the high school band at the Richie Gerber Bar Mitzvah. That's a big step for me. I'm telling you, Mark, this has been a quest of Larry's, an absolute quest where he's like, I'm going to track this guy down. I'm going to. And this is before we started hearing all the hype, you know, before, like, you know, that even came out. Uh, you know, Larry, Larry was ahead of the game on this one. I got to give him a lot of credit going. I've heard this story. I think it's true. I know a person that swears it is. And I'm going to track this one down and we're going to get him. And, uh, and, and kudos to you, Larry, for, for sleuthing and getting this, uh, this interview to happen. So, you know, thank you, Mark, for, for making it happen. Yes, and, and thank you uh, uh, to Keith uh, Zerman, who's not with us today, but will join us on another episode, who was the gentleman who shared the story with me and helped me make the connection with Mark. So uh, also thank you to Keith, who wasn't able to join us today, but thank you, sir. Okay, guys. Well, um, don't forget for our listeners, next week uh, we will have Jim Marty back for his uh, final episode as one of our co-hosts before he goes off into wonderful retirement, leaving controls to just Rob and to me and hoping we don't crash it right out of the box. But we feel good and confident about that, and we're going to be ready to roll. But please tune in next week uh, so we can all say our goodbyes to Jim, one of the founders of this podcast and uh, one of the big players early on in the uh, uh, cannabis industry, especially on the accounting side. Um, Also, since this is our last show, Before the Christmas holiday, for those of you who celebrate Christmas, have a very happy Christmas, a happy, healthy Christmas, a Merry New Year, and all that kind of stuff. And we will be back next week. But as we leave today in the spirit of Christmas, uh, we're actually going to switch back over uh, to one of these Fox Theater shows uh, that brought the Grateful Dead to St. Louis in 1971. And uh, we've talked a lot about their covers of Chuck Berry tunes. Here's another one that's very good for the season, uh, Run Rudolph Run. So to all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening today. Thank you again to Mark Slosberg. Everyone have a great holiday and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. Out of all the reindeer, you know you're the mastermind. Run, run, Rudolph, I ran up not too far behind. Run, run, Rudolph, Santa's got the baby to town. Tell him he can hurry, tell him he can take the freeway down. And away went a Rudolph, a whistle like a merry-go-round. Said Santa to a boy. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did.